before we get to Exodus, I just want to do a little background. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. In the book of Exodus, God fulfills and answers his promise. How many of us have been promised something and somebody has broken it? You didn't get what they said they were going to do. Well, one thing about God is this. God never makes a promise that he does not keep. Whatever God says, he means what he says and says what he means, and he will fulfill it. But in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham. His name will be changed from Abram to Abraham. But he makes, he makes a change to that. I'm sorry, to Israel. It reads as follows. The Lord said to Abram, go out from the land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. Now, highlight this. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out. For the land of Canaan. When they came to that land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he removed on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, he built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine was in the land was severe. All that God fulfills. Because in the book of Exodus, we find the nation of Israel in Egypt. But you got to understand Genesis 12 to understand the greatness of the book of Exodus. He says, God says to Abram, leave the place you are, go out from the land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land I will show you. And if you read down through there, as they were traveling through all those different parts, that was all that was going to be part of the inheritance that Israel was going to get. He says, I, I will make you, here it was, number one, a great nation, and I will bless you. Now, contrary to some popular opinion, the United States is not the promised nation. Israel is the promised nation. I think some of my brothers and sisters in Christ, really think that we are God's chosen people. We are God's promised ones. 
That is not what scripture teach. Of all the peoples that God could have chosen to be his, he chose. Because he's God. And he can do that. Just like if you as a parent, there's some things that you could do because you were the parent and not the child. God chose the nation of Israel. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And he has. Now, they've been going through some stuff and they will continue to. But ultimately, God is going to get them where he wants them to be. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. He did that. How did he make them a blessing to the rest of the world? Guess point one would be out of the nation of Israel, out of the tribes of all those nations comes the promised one, the one that we serve, the one who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been adopted. We have been engrafted as Gentiles into that land, into that promise by the fact that when Christ died on the cross, he said he would draw all people unto himself. We are the all other people. We're not part of the chosen other than when we are saved, we become a part of the chosen. But in of ourselves, that's not who the promise was made to. It was made to Jesus. And thanks be to God that he allows us to be blessed that Christ came and died for us so that we can be part of this great calling that God has called. Amen? I mean, man, when you think about we were lost and we were not found, but thanks be to God. He says, I will make you a great name. I'll give you a great name out and you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. We're blessed through them by the fact that we have a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. Amen. That sets up for what happens in the book of Exodus. Now, I didn't tell you this, but I just thought about it. In the book of Acts, If you go to Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, and beginning with verse 23. Acts is the history book of the New Testament. It deals a lot with Paul's journeys as he was traveling, establishing, and setting up churches. The beginning of the church, the beginning of, of we as uh, the church entity and all that was established there. But by the time we get to chapter 28, I want you to notice something. Paul, Paul's been in ministry. Uh, he finally uh, gets to Rome and in uh, chapter 28. Here's what it says. Beginning with uh, verse Verse 23. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. So here's Paul. He come to Paul. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. From dawn to dusk, they're with Paul, hearing the teaching of the word of God. Did you catch that? From how long? From dawn to dusk. 
early in the morning till the evening, they were there listening to Paul expound the scriptures. Shame on us. We can't give from 9 o'clock till 11.15 some days. That's a struggle. But they stood because they wanted to know. Testify, says, from dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. That's where we are today. Some have been persuaded. Some of us that are here, hopefully we're, we've been persuaded enough to know that we need to know more about Jesus. We need to know more about who he is and what he's done, what he can do, what he will do, and the promises he makes. And the more I know about Jesus, the more I'm able to serve him better. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. There are more that do not believe than do believe. And when I say believe, I'm not just talking about mental assent that God in Christ is who he is. I mean an actual belief in him. Because you acknowledge who God is in his essence doesn't mean you believe. There's a belief of just, yeah, I, I, I acknowledge that there's a God. Okay? And belief, the Bible even tells us the demons, they believe in God. So when somebody says, I believe in God, they got to make sure when, we're when we say belief, that is the full belief in what he has done in his death, burial, resurrection, and who God is. He tried to persuade them about both the law and from both the law and the Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. How many times has the preacher said one thing? And how many times have people left because of that one thing? And what he said was true. It's one thing to leave if the preacher or whoever is telling you falsehoods or telling you a lie. But when you're speaking the truth, some agreed, some disagreed. And when Paul makes this statement, many said, uh-uh, that's where I draw the line. That's where I'm, I'm out. And here's what, he, here's what was said. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors, through the prophet Isaiah, go to these people and say, you will always be listening, but never understanding. A lot of people are, are listening, so they say. They're hearing, but they're not what? Understanding. It's one thing to hear. That's why in my prayer this morning I said, help us not to be just what? Hearers of the Bible, hearers of the word, but to be doers. And a, a mental Acumen of information is one thing, but to live that out is a whole nother story. I know I, the Bible teaches, and one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not lie. Okay, I can read that, and I may be mentally assent to that, but is lying a part of who I am? We talked about last week, we ought to have love for one another. Well, it's one thing to say, it's one thing to read it, but it's a whole nother different thing to actually know what it means of, of live it out and appropriate it when we say we are to love one another. But that's what he says. They will always be listening, but never 
understanding. All, you will always be looking, but never perceiving. To see one thing and to perceive. You know what? You could take everybody in this room. We could set up a situation where there's something that happens. Real quick, maybe somebody, I'll have somebody come through those doors, bust in, and they will say, um, they'll do something, then they'll leave. And as the police would come in, or I would say, all right, I want you to describe to me what that person looked like. I don't know how many people we got here this morning, what, 15, 20, whatever it is. I would probably get 15 or 20 different responses on what that person looked like. Their clothes, what they did, what they said, because... As he's saying here, he's saying, listen, they will always be looking, but never perceiving. How many of us can read the Bible and not really understand what it's saying or think we understand what it's saying? We're looking, but you got to take everything in this context. You got to go back and forth and look up words because a lot of things mean some things mean one thing and in our English language, could mean something differently when you look at it in the original. He says, for the hearts of these people have grown callous. People's hearts are callous to the things of God. It's a hard message today. Even before COVID got here, but it's a hard message now when it comes to the church. No. Mm-mm. If you think going out telling somebody, I mean, and even not just about the church, the better yet is to talk about Jesus. People's hearts are hard to the gospel. Amen. And the sad indictment on the church is this. There are those that say they're on the inside who act like they're on the outside. How can we who say we know him be so callous and indifferent to the things of God? And how should we expect those who don't even know about God to be any different than what they see in us? Because if it's that important to you, you'll make an effort to be there. Amen? That's just, that's just as simple as I can say it. Whatever is important to you or me is what we spend our time and effort doing. That's in a nutshell. But he talks about the cow. The world is callous. The world, even those sometimes, those of us in the church, we are callous, hard. We, we've got, I'm waiting, I got some calluses right here in the palms where I gripped some certain things. Nice little hard spot because of how I gripped it. We ought to, if we're going to have a callus, we ought to have a good callus because we're so much into the Bible. We're so much into the fellowship. We're so much into the things of God that we develop a toughness. But our callousness is we tend to not want to do the things of God. Their ears are hard of hearing. You get tired of hearing. You know what? Y'all keep saying the same thing over and over. We only got one message. What's the message, Pastor? The message is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way. If you want to get to heaven, you got to come by him. There is no other name under heaven and earth given unto men. There is no other name like the name of Jesus. His name is above every other name. It's not Muhammad. It's not 
Confucius. It's not any, there's no other name but the name of Jesus that men might be saved. The hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I will heal them. If we make an about face, there's the promise of God that he will heal us. Our country right now needs a healing, a divine healing from God. Churches all across our country, men who are standing right now, this present moment, others maybe later on that are standing before the people, they, we need a healing from God. We need to get back to the fundamentals. Amen? We need to get back to worshiping God. Why did you come this morning? I hope you came this morning because you realize what God has done for you, for you from last Sunday to this very present moment, and you've come today and say, you know what? I come, number one, I want to worship and glorify God for how he brought me from last week to this week. Because if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? I woke up this morning thinking, we as churches have gotten involved in a whole lot of mess other than the main thing, which is the plain thing, which is that we're here to serve and to worship God. Learn about him. Grow in grace. Grow in knowledge. Grow in understanding. And go out and tell a dying world that if you want a solution to your problems, if you want to be healed, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there is none other. Jesus is the way. I mean, I'm watching, I mean, yeah, we live in the world, but uh, we should be aware of a lot of things. But we have let this thing about the politics, we've let this thing about all these natural disasters, we got so much going on that that has put our serving of God on the other side of the shelf, and we're more concerned about those things than we are the main thing, which is worshiping God, which is also praying to God. God, if you're going to deliver us, first start with me. I even catch my own self getting caught up in all this mess. I was sad when I turned on my TV the other night and heard about the death of Judge Ginsburg. I really was. And They've done it a couple times, and I may not do it justice. But in the year 2020, we have lost some great giants in the world of politics and in the world of life itself. Some people wouldn't see it that way, but for me, I do. Whether you agreed with her politics and her judgments and dissents or not, she was one of the few people, even though her, her and Judge Scalia were on the opposite ends, they had a tremendous respect for one another. They were together many times. And he knew where she was, and he knew where uh, she knew where he was, and he knew where she was. But they were able to sit down, and they, have, they showed many a times. And she would say, I appreciate everything he said. It sounded good. 
but I disagree, and I'm on the end. And they got along. We're not in that place today. When it came to fighting for the rights of those that are disadvantaged, the, the disenfranchised, guess what? That's what that was on her side. See, here's the problem. We've got, and I think it's probably even in the church. We've got we've gone too far one way and not willing to have compassion and love and concern and empathy for others. Some things are just right. I think I said it last week. I may disagree on some of the, the lifestyle of some people that make up this country, but I give them dignity, value, and worth because they are a creation of God. Amen? We need to treat people right. Why are we, why are we arguing over the right to vote? That ought to be a right by virtue of the fact that you're a citizen of the United States. Did we, re we really need a Voting Rights Act? Not particularly, but we did because we were denied the right to vote, so we had to have an act by vote of the Supreme Court to say, now everybody, regardless of race, color, creed, whatever, has the right to vote. Well, then guess what? They came back and said, well, you know what? We really don't need it. Yeah, we do, because there are people who don't want other people to vote. Women, the fact that you were born as a woman should not have been a determinant for you not to cast a ballot. Guess who fought for your right for that, George Gifford, because you're a citizen, male, female. That's, that's, what am I trying to say? We're arguing over stuff that's just common sense. Do people take advantage of the system? Yes. And some of the people in power take advantage of the system. There's welfare for the rich as well as welfare for the poor. I get tickled when people pause, say, well, you know what? There are a lot of people on welfare. They just get money all the time. And they blah, blah, blah. I say, yeah, but guess what? You've got welfare too. And you find out how bad it is when, if, you, if we as a people of the United States, you know what? We're going to have a revolution. Here's what we're going to do. All you congressmen and senators and all you folks up there in Washington, we're going to cut your salary. We're going to eliminate your benefits so that you have to buy your own health plan. And we're going to make sure that you understand what it's like for the average person of the United States to have to pay for his gas, have to pay for his electricity, have to pay for this, have to pay for that. All the things that you travel, we just, we just can't hop on a plane and say, well, it's a part of my political whatever and jump and fly. No, even you, Mr. President, flying over the if you have to pay for Air Force One to fly to Minnesota, guess what? You will soon find out what it's like. When you don't have health welfare, the best welfare health plan in the world, those guys in Washington vote for themselves. But when you have to, you're talking about getting rid of health, the health plan now? Guess what? If you didn't have what you had, you'd be buying something. That's how our average person lives. We're trying to figure out how to pay our bills. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do. Y'all don't, you are oblivious to what the real world is. Oh, we're going to cut it. Let me, you want to start with cutting fat? Start with you guys first. Before you deal with my mom and other senior citizens, Medicaid and, and Social Security and all that, before you get to that part, cut from the top. 
Be an example. Show us from the top that you're willing to sacrifice, and then we down at the bottom might be willing to pay. Our ears, our eyes. But what he's trying to get to see, we become dull. We become callous to those things. But if we get back to who God is, and we get back to what we were supposed to be about, he says, notice what he says here. They shut their eyes, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, but if they do this, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart. They have an understanding of where people are. Not everybody has been blessed like you. Not everybody was blessed to grow up like you. Not everybody had the same father and the same mother and lived. Not everybody had food on the table. Not everybody had the other people have lived different lives, but we need to understand where they're coming from. I cannot be mad at this present, some of our younger generations, because when I look at how some of them came up, I understand why they do what they do. I don't say it's right. I don't say, well, you're you're doing well. I just say, I understand, I can get why you act like that. You never had an example of what a father was. You never had an example of what a mother is. You never had the stability. You never had the discipline in your home. All those things that many people take for granted, many did not have that. And that's what we've lost. We've lost that understanding. He said, if they will understand with their heart, and turn. Once you get an acknowledgement of knowledge, you got to turn. Once you're confronted with Jesus Christ, you have to turn. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. What's he really saying? There's a turn away from the world and a turning to God. Understand with their heart and turn. He says, I will heal them. Who in here today needs a healing? And I'm not talking about because you got arthritis and pains in your knees and pains in your heart. You got cancer. I understand that. We all need healing for that. I'm talking about a spiritual healing. A healing where you're not tossed and driven every night because you don't know what's going to happen. You have the peace of God. You understand what it is? Yeah. A lot's going on in a lot of people's lives. But God gives you a peace. That passes all understanding. In the midst of the storm, you're able to lay your head on your pillow and go to sleep at night. Though the storms in this life may be raging, I have a rock. And I have a what? An anchor! On what? Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I had a guy who told me he listened to a message I had preached, and I, th I thought to myself, that's the only thing you heard, is that when I made the comment that my hope is not in Donald Trump, my hope is not in Joe Biden, my hope is not in any Obama or whoever, my hope has never been in any man, my hope has always been on Jesus. And I heard what you said, I go, what did I say? He said, I said, that's the only thing you heard. I say, the only thing that you heard? I say, I'll say that to anybody. 
I ain't trusting nobody but Jesus. Man will fail us every time. People make promises all over the all over the place, and they can only do so much. Why? Because there's other forces at play. But God is always faithful. God is always true. God will give you a peace. God will give you understanding. God has been with me every step of the way. But you got to turn. He says, if you make that turn, I will heal you. You want healing? You got to turn to turn to God. He says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. So that brings us all the way to the book of Exodus. All of that, setting up the promise made to Abraham, Abram, the promise of God's people, the promise that where we are today with people's callous hearts, people not hearing, people not seeing, that need to, we need to turn, brings us to the book of Exodus. And I'm just going to tell you a couple things and I'll be done. And then, Brother Art, you can come. The book of Exodus is part of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Penta, meaning five, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Exodus is that second book. Exodus picks up where Genesis left off. Genesis is the book of the beginnings. God created, let there be, and there was. Adam and Eve and the world and all that, and all the things that went on. But Exodus picks up from that, from Genesis, really from, from Genesis 12 to the promise. Finally, God's promise is going to be fulfilled. For in the book of Exodus, it talks about the book Exodus itself means departure. It's the anglicized word that we use for exit. Departure. You know what an exit is, don't you? We got them marked all over the church. One back there, one over here. Exit. So that if by chance there is a fire, you know where to go to depart. Departure of God's people ultimately from the nation of Egypt. They're going to leave Egypt. Talks about God saving the Israelites, and establishing them as a covenant community. We're going to see in the book of Exodus a type of what God does with Christ and the church. Not a, a, a transition from he promised Israel, he makes a promise, he saves them, and what he does for us today. God saving the Israelites and establishing them as a covenant community. And as a nation chosen to serve and to represent him, God chose the nation of Israel to serve and to represent him. If you're called today, if you're saved today, you've been called to serve and to represent him, the him being Jesus Christ. Exodus describes the enslavement and oppression and oppression of the Israelites. It talks about the preparation and call of Moses. It talks about the conflict between Yahweh, the God of Israel, 
and the gods of Egypt. It gives us the exodus of the Israelites. The establishment of Israel as a nation in covenant with the, with the Lord himself. It talks about their rebellion. It talks about the establishment of the Lord's provision for their ongoing relationship. And it's ultimately shown by the symbolized by his presence at the tabernacle they built for him. God saving the Israelites and establishing them as a covenant community, a nation chosen to serve and represent him. Exodus describes the enslavement and oppression of the Israelites. It gives the preparation and call of Moses, a conflict between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the gods of Egypt. The exodus of the Israelites themselves out of that nation. The establishment as a nation in covenant with the Lord. It talks about their rebellion. It talks about the establishment of the Lord's provision for their ongoing relationship. And it caps off and is symbolized by his presence at the tabernacle they built for him. All that in the book of Exodus. And as we go through it, you'll see, oh, that's us. We've been chosen by God to serve and to represent him as they were chosen by God to serve. Huh. God prepares somebody by the man named Moses to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Huh. There's a conflict between the God, Yahweh, God himself, and the gods of Egypt. Well, we got that conflict going on right here in our own world. The way of the God, the way of the Lord versus the way of the world. We get to see how God fulfills his promise by causing the Israelites to leave. He makes a covenant. He makes a promise with them. He makes a covenant. He makes a promise with us. I and you as God's child, we know one thing. God will take care of us. I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed beg for bread. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be eating um, steak and filet mignon. Lobster and all that other caviar. But he says, I know if I can take care of the birds of the air, can I not take care of you? That's why the more I think about this, the more I'm at peace with, I'm getting more at peace of what's going on. I really am. I'm like, you know what, Lord, this is in your hand. It's all good stuff. And a lot of it's some right stuff. Some stuff that needs to be addressed. But here's the thing uh, you and I need to know. God's got it under control. And no one side knows any, anything about what's going to happen. But God does. That's why my trust is in him. 
I'm getting better at being able to say, you know what, I may need to turn off my TV, read more of my Bible, and pray more than watching all this stuff on the news. Because there's nothing good on there. It's all bad and negative. And all these people, people who propose and preponderance of the Democrats and preponderance of the Republicans and the, the liberals and all that, they, they don't know nothing. I know one thing for sure, two things. One, God is in full control. God's got this thing. Two, man in and of himself is fickle and messed up. You cannot predict the hearts and minds of men and women. Just when you think everybody sees something or thinks that, you know, we're living in that day that's written in Timothy. Men would be lovers of themselves. They would take what is right and make it wrong and what is wrong and make it right. We're living in that day. So when I hear all these people say, well, you would think, well, I'm like, you know what, you, you, you don't know. I ain't trusting people to make the right decision. I'm trusting in God. Amen. And no matter how this thing turns out, God's got it. Nobody knew anything about COVID until it hit. And God's going to show, show the world, oh, do what you want to do. But I'm going to have something come in and shake up the whole world. It's going to change the very life that we live. Just the way it is. Not, and it wasn't like for a couple of weeks or a couple of We're what, six, seven months into this thing? And I ain't trusted. I mean, I appreciate Dr. Fauci and all of them. They know some things. But, yeah. Operation Warp Speed, we're going to have a vaccination here in the next couple of weeks or months, whatever. I, that's fine. Whatever. God's got it. Amen. I think what I'm really wanting us to understand is when we go through the book of Exodus, we're going to see you need to have an understanding that God is who he says he is. I close with this. When I look at what's going to be in heaven, how we're going to be around the throne of God, and we're just simply going to be praising God for everything he has done. You know why? Because when you and I look at where we've come from and where God has brought us, the only thing we can do is praise him. I look at my own life. I thought, you know what? I had a father who died from cancer. I have a mother who has cancer. I have a brother and a sister who has cancer. If I was a man without hope, I would be like, okay, it's me next. And it may well be. Don't know. So far, my doctor tells me I'm fine. Uh, there's nothing to be worried about. But if by chance that changes, it's not going to stop me from trusting God. I'm like, Lord, you brought me to 62. I'm trusting you for the next one in a few months, 63. And if I don't make it, I already know where I'm going to be. I'll be with Jesus. Y'all ain't got to worry about me. I know where I'm going. I got a home over in glory land. No more sorrow, no more heartache. I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'll be like I had to tell my dad. I'll be fine. I'll, it's going to be all right. 
I and me and you will be all right as long as we trust in him. Amen. And in the book of Exodus, we're going to see how God fulfills his promises to each and every one of us. I think it's going to be a great book. I mean, when we really pick this out and start nibbling at the bones, we'll be like, hmm, I didn't know all that was in there. I always get amazed and go, I never thought about that. Amen? God is good. And we're going to find in the book of Exodus how great 